Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I am pleased to introduce our third annual Order of Canada Stories Behind the People Luncheon. We are proud to host the celebration of outstanding Canadian contribution and achievement. Today, we honour a few of the deserving Canadians whose life work has made our great nation even better. The Order of Canada was established in 1967 by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. It is the centrepiece of Canada's honour system. Recipients are recognized for a lifetime of outstanding achievement, community involvement, leadership, and service. Canadians from all walks of life are lauded for the positive contributions they have made to our society. Before I introduce three of these wonderful citizens, I want to take a moment to introduce to you another extraordinary Canadian. To anyone who knows and loves Canadian arts and culture, Gian Gameshi is one name that likely needs no introduction. Gian is an award-winning broadcaster, writer, musician, and producer, as well as the host and co-creator of the national daily talk program, Q, on CBC Radio and CBC TV. Since its inception in 2007, Q has garnered the largest audience of any cultural affairs program in Canada and has become the highest-rated show in its morning time slot in CBC history. Q is also now broadcast across the United States on PRI. The Washington Post recently named Q as the most popular new arts and culture radio show in America. Last fall, McLean's Magazine named Gian one of the most 50 most important people in Canada and Toronto life, listed Gian as one of the 50 most influential Torontonians, and we are thrilled he could be with us today to moderate the conversation. Joining Gian today are three special guests. Jeannie Becker, television personality and fashion icon, who has been recognized for her contributions to the fashion industry and her promotion of Canadian designers. Marnie McBean, Olympic rowing champion and author. She is only one of two Canadians to win three Summer Olympic gold medals. And Margaret McCain, the former Lieutenant Governor of New Brunswick, who has been celebrated for her transformational philanthropic work with Canadian organizations and for her commitment to early childhood development. Before I relinquish the podium, I would like to encourage our live audience to take this opportunity to join the conversation by filling in the Q&A cards at each of your tables. One of our volunteers will be by to collect them. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Gian Gameshi and our Order of Canada recipients to the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record. Thank you very much. Uh, is this working? Can you hear me? Yes. Well, you can hear me because you're right there. Everybody else hear me? <laughs> Thank you. I am not all four of us. I'm just me. I'm going to introduce uh, uh, these three uh, distinguished guests that we have here today. Uh, I'm Gian Gameshi. I didn't actually um, wear my Order of Canada pin today because I don't have one. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. it is a, a great exercise in humility to get to sit with people who do uh, have this kind of um, recognition that they so richly deserve. Um, I, I'm honored to be here uh, as part of the, I, I sit on the board with the Canadian Club. I don't, because of my crazy schedule with the show and everything, often get to come to the events and I'm honored to be able to attend one and also uh, uh, try and do some uh, moderation at it and, and ask some questions as well. Uh, I, I am nervous about, I know that the, uh, there's an event tomorrow, in case anybody thought this was the Tim Hudak event, I'm not him. <laughs> I know we look very similar. Um, actually, I did my best to clean up today. I, I'm Iranian, so I shaved two hours ago, and this is, this is what happens. Good, the racial humor, you like that. Still like that, excellent. <laughs> um, it's also not, if you're down the hall, there's another thing happening over there, that's the Ontario Brain Institute, and I wanted to make sure nobody had wandered into the wrong room as well, because I'm not, not sure I would qualify to be leading a discussion around the intricacies of the brain. Um, well, I was thinking of ways to, one of the things that the Canadian Club wanted to do with this forum today is bring together uh, three people who have some commonality, I mean, recognition with the Order of Canada, et cetera, but who really aren't 
identical uh, humans. I mean, they, they, they come from vastly different experiences and, and their success comes in very different ways. Uh, so one of the things that they are, however, and I was thinking about how we're going to tie this together and what kind of questions I want to ask. One of the things they are are really powerful, independent, strong women. And uh, one of the great, powerful, strong, independent women of the world uh, died a couple of days ago, Maya Angelou. And she really, I mean, for most of the people in this room, at least at this point, have now discovered her or uh, heard great quotes over the last 24 hours on Twitter or whatever. But if you haven't had the chance to actually delve into who she was and her life and her story, it is so remarkable. Uh, it is such an inspiration, given where she came from and, and the adversity that she faced, what she became. And her words are uh, an inspiration and an education. She's one of those people that, having had the chance to talk to her, everything that came out of her mouth, you know, it was like... Um, a sage, like Yoda, you know, you just want to sit there. Leonard Cohen's like this. You just want to ask about anything because they're going to tell you uh, that there's going to be such wisdom spun into those words. And so um, I had the chance to interview her in 2011 about her career as a broad interview. We played a, a bunch of that today on the show. And I was reminded of, uh, of her wisdom in, in terms of... Uh, both all that she had accomplished, but, but also uh, how she, what the definition of success was to her. And it's not necessarily what you would expect. It, it, you know, uh, uh, success isn't always defined by awards and money. And, and uh, the other thing I thought going into today's conversation was that uh, we don't have to be overly uh, earnest either. We can discuss serious subjects, but have a sense of humor about ourselves. And and one of the things she said, Maya Angelou said in this interview that played today, I, I, I guess at some point I asked her you know, how, how intense or serious a person she was. And she said, I'm a very, very serious person. I'm a very serious person. I'm serious enough to know not to take myself seriously, <laughs> which I thought was another pearl of wisdom from someone who's kind of, and, and uh, in other parts of the interview, she talks about laughing at yourself and being able to, to Never take yourself too seriously. So in the spirit of Maya Angelou, I, I thought uh, we could have a conversation about inspiration uh, and education today. And uh, it is such an honor to do so with, as I say, three powerful women who I so so look up to and, and a couple of whom I've, I've known over the years and, and who are dear friends. So let me introduce them and bring them up here and then we can um, ask some questions. And I will, I've got some broad sort of questions that I thought I'd ask, but I have your, your cards and you can keep feeding them to me if you have uh, uh, any particular question you want asked or answered. She is one of the most recognizable, influential, and fabulous women in the fashion industry. Marnie McBean. No. Uh, in, in Canada and around the world, her career in television began as the co-host of the groundbreaking program, The New Music. Some of us would never miss this show when we were kids prior to hosting the iconic fashion television. Fashion television, of course, aired for 27 years in 140 countries around the world. She is the recipient of countless arts, culture, fashion awards, and is a member of the Order of Canada. Please welcome Jeannie Becker. Thank you. We'll make sure to hit the microphone when we can see Throughout her career, she has been active in organizations that promote education, music, and the arts at the provincial and national levels. She served as the chancellor of the University of Mount Allison for eight years prior to being appointed as lieutenant governor of the province of New Brunswick, the first female to hold this position. She served a, a, as a board member of the National Ballet School, currently serves on the board of the Canadian Women's Foundation. She's currently chair of the Margaret and Wallace McCain Family Foundation and champions effective early childhood programs across Canada. What an incredible trajectory she has. Please welcome the Honorable Margaret McCain.
please. And she is one of Canada's most decorated Olympians and one of only two Canadians, as you heard, ever to win three gold medals in the Summer Olympics. We don't have to repeat that. It's not that big a deal. Uh, her, <laughs> I mean, you know, not bad. It's all right. Her record-breaking rowing career evolved into roles as a specialist in Olympic athlete preparation and mentoring. She's a, a member and had been a governor of the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, a recipient of the Governor General's Meritorious Service Medal, and has been given the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. She's also been appointed as an officer to the Order of Canada. Please welcome Marty McBean. mentions a bronze. <laughs> That's right. The bronze. How could you have dared get a bronze medal? Settle for that. Own the podium, McBean. All right. Well, where to start with, um, with you three? And I thought one of the places that we could start is uh, one unifying factor is you all have been recognized uh, as successful, great, inspirational Canadians. Order of Canada. Uh, and, well, it's true. And we, this is the Canadian Club. Uh, so I thought we would start by uh, a simple, but maybe not so simple question, which is, what does being Canadian, what does Canada and this kind of recognition mean to you? I'm going to start with Jeannie. Huh. Um, and I know we have to keep it short, <laughs> which I'm not often That's your time there. great at doing. <laughs> um, boy, well, uh, I'm a child of uh, uh, immigrants. My parents are Holocaust survivors. Um, I was born just uh, four years after they immigrated here um, and grew up with uh, stories uh, of, of horrendous events in their lives um, that, I, that I think really obviously ended up shaping me, but um, more than anything, they always brought me up with such an appreciation for this incredible country that we've uh, uh, come to live in and, and come to really love. And um, I think it's that um, knowledge that we are in a place where if we dream hard enough, if we believe uh, firmly enough, if we, uh, if we fight hard enough and are tenacious, enough and uh, you know we never really give up uh, and we're fearless about it you know we can have have anything that we want we can realize our greatest dreams and um, I think that's just about happened with me I mean I, I don't know if I've realized all my dreams yet but uh, a great many of them life has been uh, quite a fantasy and I uh, I really do feel like I owe it all to this amazing country so so much of what you've done is so much <laughs> it's probably my phone. <laughs> it's fine. It's great. It adds color to the conversation. Uh, so much of, of your job, especially in the last two or three decades, has been traveling around the world. Uh, I know you self-identify as Canadian when you're traveling, but what, what is it to what you just spoke to? What is it that you think of when you're somewhere else and you think about what, why Canada is so important to you? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think, you know, as a Canadian, um, I think Canadians by nature have this uh, inherent air of humility. I mean, some people maybe have it more than others, but um, it, it's this complex, I guess, that maybe um, we developed uh, back growing up in the '60s when, you know, it, it seemed that the States was the big hip, you know, happening place to be, and um, you know, feeling kind of like a poor relation sometimes. Um, but then realizing, you know, the older I got and, uh, and the more I realized that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, really where on the planet you live. If you have a voice and a point of view and something to say, you can say it from just anywhere. Um, realizing that you can really um, have a message that resonates. Um, I, I don't know. I just found that um, that, that has given me a, an incredible kind of confidence about being a Canadian. And I feel that we're a kinder, gentler society and uh, we're a lot more respectful. I mean, I was lucky enough to be in Sochi this uh, past go-round, and I just felt like 
royalty just because I was Canadian. Mm. I felt there was such an incredible reverence for Canada. And I think we're at an, such an amazing time in the life of this country in terms of um, the messaging that we are putting out there and the way that we are being perceived by the rest of the world and the power of the talent that we have that is down okay. to platform. Okay, maybe we'll come back to that point because <clears throat> some would say that Canada's international reputation is changing. Um, Margaret, tell me, what, tell us what Canada means to you. Well, my roots in Canada go pretty deep. They, uh, my mother's family came here in 1772 to Eastern Canada. So my roots are deep. Uh, why am I proud to be a Canadian? You know, any of you who have experienced receiving the Order of Canada, uh, and the, so you see the cross-section of people who have contributed to our country from all sectors, all walks of life. We see the diversity. and You, you get a sense of the value system and the respect that we have for each other. Uh, it makes you, it, it's humbling. Uh, it, you feel honored, but, but most of all, it infuses you with a great sense of pride in being Canadian. Uh, but I think Canada to me, uh, I've, I, um, it means so much to me because of our value system. And you spoke to that, Jeannie. We're a gentler, kinder people. Particularly today, uh, when we look next door, Canadians care for all Canadians. We believe in health care for all Canadians. We believe in equal education for all Canadians, for all people, really. We have a tolerance for people of other nations. We welcome them. Hopefully, we welcome them. Maybe we haven't been as kind as we could have been, uh, Jean, uh, in the past. But I think that overall, Canada is uh, respected in the world because of the way we tolerate, accept, and love people hmm. and I care for those who are marginalized and disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. That's why I love Canada. I love it when you say, uh, all of you out there who have the Order of Canada, you know. <laughs> well, I know there are quite a few out there. I can see two faces <laughs> looking couple, at me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marnie, uh, you know, as an Olympic athlete, this is, a question, this is not a new question to you. Uh, in, in, in Olympic athletes, in a way, are required to give an answer about what, why Canada is, impor is important to them. But what have you learned over the years about why the recognition that you get as a Canadian is so important to you? Oh, um, nice twist. Um, no, I, I do. You're right. I think athletes, I think Olympic athletes, have a unique relationship with the flag because we go around branded with it. I dream, I would dream. I remember when I was a university student at Western training for the Olympics and I'd walk past um, the buildings and the, the maple leaf would be on the top of them. I, I would be talking to the flag, like that's connected to all my dreams and my aspirations. And now sort of 20 years later, I look back and I realize um, that it's, it was more than just my dream and, and what we did um, as, well, and what we do as athletes really is um, we, built, we build a nation. Um, we've had, I've had people come up to me and they're, they're like, you know, it, it's not just about sport. It's like my kids stayed in school because of watching you do this at the Olympics. I've had people come up to me who don't particularly look like the stereotypical rowing fan, but they're like, you're Marty McVean. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, we became Canadian citizens in 1992 and you were the first people we cheered for mm. as, as new Canadians. And that's, that's pretty powerful stuff that's still, you know, kind of like just thinking about the flag and, and what Canada means and the unique relationship that, that I have with the country always does make me emotional because I, you know, I, I look at it and I, I love to, I think she's strong enough to take it, but I've never like worn um, a, a maple leaf and jumped up on, down on my sofa and screamed and yelled, you know, oh Canada when Margaret Atwood wrote another book. But when athletes go and we perform, you know, Canadians go to the streets and we all go out and we, like, make sure we're wearing something red and white. And, and then in that, that process, um, we come home and we go across the country. And I have been coast to coast and up, up to the northern coast, the Atlantic, the, the Arctic. 
and you, overwhelmingly, you know, you kind of expect people to say, congratulations, you won, you know, three gold medals, even though you think it's nothing, but um, I'll take it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, they don't just say congratulations, they say thank you. And they, they say thank you for, for making me feel proud to be a Canadian on that day. And then having been uh, coast to coast, and I've driven across the country a few times because rowing boats are at least 26 feet long and don't fit in an overhead <laughs> bin. <laughs> Um, but I've driven across the country a few times, and our country is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, and all the different things we have to offer, and all the different peoples, uh, people, and communities. Um, like, I, I really do think that sport and Olympic sport binds the nation. Let me ask you, all, all three of you, to suspend your modesty for, for this question, and really, because I'm, I'm sure you've all done some self-examination in terms of what. What was it in you that, that has led you to the point where the success that you've had and the, and the recognition that you so deserve? So I'll start with you, Marnie. This kid from Etobicoke, you know, wh wh and this was on the, I got these little cards that people, have, on a couple of the cards they asked this question. What, can you name a, an element that you've discovered that in you that led you to be able to ascend the way you have to the success that you've had. What, what was it that, what's, what's one thing that you could identify in yourself that really helped? I think curiosity, um, and, and in a combination of curiosity, and um, I had this ability to look forward, but at the same time to be really dumb about it, right? So it, it's, there's nothing better than being naive for wanting to go forward, because you, you don't really understand that it's supposed to be hard or difficult or not available to you. Um, I remember being curious about rowing and then uh, too dumb to know or naive to know that it was supposed to be hard. And mm. then I went to a competition and I beat the Romanians and I was too naive to know that Canadians aren't supposed to beat the Romanians. Um, so I was always like curious about what's next, what's around the corner, how do you learn, how do I get better, how do I improve? And then um, I, I think it's, it's a state of bliss when you're too naive to know that you're not supposed to, or no one has, or people like you don't, because um, then you just go and you do it anyways. But, uh, that, well, that's an amazing story. But at the same time, you wouldn't say, if somebody said, how do I become an Olympic athlete? You wouldn't say, be naive, would you? Um, uh, think, don't think, for sure. Ah, yes. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, it's certainly like, in, in the curiosity part makes you look right? And the, the naive part tells you don't worry about anything else. Like, what about the driven part? Oh, yeah. How, Super stubborn. Where, where, where did that come? I mean, you, just any Olympic athlete has, has to have incredible drive and dedication to get, let alone to the, you know, all the medals and all, the, all that you've done. I mean, where did that come from? Or, or when did you first identify that in yourself? Oh, well, I think that's always been there in, in a sense that I just took it for granted. I remember I, when I was eight years old, I had a, a paper route. I used to deliver the star, I think. It was in the afternoon, whatever. But I used to deliver the paper route, and there'd be you know, people, usually it'd be a businessman walking home from work, and I would want to walk faster than him down the street, right? So it was always just these little... Little things that I, I'm going to beat that guy down there, you know, and I've got like 40 pounds of papers and I'm like walking down the street or I've got them all on my skateboard and I'm pushing them down the street trying to catch up to this dude who's walking really quickly with his briefcase. And I think that that type of um, drive, I just always took as Do you a think that that's part. something that can be taught? No. No, I, I think um, for, for what I look for when we're going to bring someone into rowing or to sport, um, I don't think you can teach toughness. Um, I, I think you find me someone who's like smart and wants to learn and who's tough. We can we can teach them to do almost anything. But for for drive, I think there's there's lots of people out there who are training around me who I think were uh, more driven than I was. But there's you know part of it is uh, that whatever it is, if it's my DNA or whatever, I had water feel. I had a, a feel for water the way. You know, Jeannie had an eye for fashion, or, or Margaret's got a sense for talking to people and, and building consensus. I, I have water feel. And so I just, I think everyone's excellent at something. I just found the right thing to be stubborn and driven at. Margaret, your, your Order of Canada citation is for your transformational philanthropic contributions to organizations across Canada. Tell, 
same question to you. What what is it in yourself that has um, led you to succeed so in that in that field, and also to what where did that drive come from? It's a very hard question to answer, actually, because I really don't know. But uh, I was allowed to give that answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> next question. <laughs> the naive dumb yeah. one. <laughs> I think what uh, that probably drives me is um, uh, I have a basic innate love for people. I think that took, drew me into social work. Uh, so caring about people, I really care about about uh, about society. I care about people who are marginalized. I care about making things better for every kid in in this country. Um, and that, I, I, I guess that's what keeps me going, because here I am, going to be 80 this year, and uh, I should be home in a rocking chair. But I, but I don't think I will be. There is too much to do, and, um, and I want to do it. So where does the drive come from? Thank you. Jeannie? You must have, you've, you've written a book about your life. You have a sense of, you've thought about yourself enough to, to well, you've, you've, you've <laughs> done enough. We all do in fashion. You've done enough self-examination. <laughs> you've done that amazing self-examination to have a sense of what it is in you that brought you to the heights that in journalism and then in fashion that you've achieved. What, what well, do you I think? Well, I mean, I, you know, I started off as a, a, an actress, mime artist, ended up working in radio. You know, there, there was... And I, and I always found, you know, even as a mime, even as a radio person, that, that costume was an important tool for communication. Um, and I think that, ultimately, is what it's about for me. It's, it's communication. It's being able to, um, to resonate. It's being able to, to relate to people and, and be relatable. Um, it's just making that connection. And this is, you know, it's almost like the no-brainer route to get into something like fashion because, yes, indeed, on some levels, etiquette is so superficial, but is it really? I mean, it's indicative of choices that we make, and it's indicative of the way we see ourselves and the way we see others, and, you know, it, it does uh, run deeper than that sometimes, too. But and it's not superficial. Oh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> well, uh, it got me the Order of Canada, so for some reason, I guess maybe finally, but you know, for a long time. It's about making people feel good about themselves. Exactly. It has incredible transformational powers. And, um, but you know, what, what gave me that drive to do that? For me, I mean, really essentially, and going back to like when I was a kid, I, I felt this kind of responsibility that because my parents' youth was kind of nipped in the bud. Um, you know, the war broke out when they were, you know, teenagers and they, just what they had to go through and losing their entire families. And I thought, oh, they could never follow their dreams. They could never pursue those passions. But here I am, growing up in this incredible country, I can do it. So it, it wasn't just about having a good life or, or a great life. I mean, I knew I wanted to have a fantastic life, as, as glamorous and as wonderful and as thrilling as it could be. Let me turn the question around maybe, um, and maybe this will make it an easier way, way to answer it. I mean, you've all had experience being around people who are successful. What is it that you've, and just following on this theme of inspiration, and then we'll get to education, but in terms of those who you've been inspired by or you've noticed the success in, what, what are common traits or what is a common trait that you've noticed amongst people who have, who have inspired you who are successful people? Mark? Me first? Yeah. Oh, I quickly come to mind two people, my mother and my husband. Uh, I learned so much from both of them. Passion is the first thing. Passion for your community, passion for whatever you're about to, certainly for my husband, devoting his passion to building a, a huge business. Uh, and my mother, very much community engagement. Um, public service, uh, but I think passion is what drives leadership. It drives all successful achievement. And uh, you didn't mention passion, but I know you had to have passion for your, for rowing. And you have passion for making people feel good through fashion. So it's, passion is the underlying driver. 
in any form of leadership, any form of achievement, whether it's business, politics, social service, public service. So my mother and my husband. Now, because I know you're intimately involved in and interested in early childhood education, something like passion, how do you, how do you inspire someone to have passion? How do you teach passion? I think it's a pretty hard thing to teach. I think you have to experience it, probably. And how did I experience it? I'm in early child development because I got involved in, as a social worker in family violence. And I saw the devastation to families, to children. Now we know that it actually gets under their skin and, and affects the architecture of their brain. Uh, so that led me into, uh, from downstream to upstream in this field. Um, and so I'm devoting my life to trying and educate Canadians about the importance of putting science into action. Um, but uh, how do you, I don't know how you teach passion. You have to dig deep and find your own. Hmm. Jeannie, what, what about you in terms of that common trait that you've noticed in successful people or people you inspire, you, well, you find inspirational? Okay, because so, that's a big difference. And successful people, and what do you mean by successful people? Ah, and right. what is, you yeah. know, Good a successful question. person yeah. to me is not necessarily someone who's you know, got a lot of recognition or, or All right, then, then in people who you're inspired by. Um, an open, open heart um, um, and a sense of compassion. Mm. Marnie? I think um, the, fir the first person I sort of thought about was uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he's uh, Stephen Redgrave. He's a British rower. And um, he won five consecutive gold medals, like 84, 88, 92, 96, 2000, if you could imagine, in rowing, winning and, and leading, being world leading for that period of time. And one of the favorite, well, I, I love just the way Steve is always, I love watching him behind the scenes, like how he carries himself behind the scenes. Um, but one of the things that he said that always resonates with me is that you don't train for the good days you train for the bad days. So it was, he'd won a race that was just terrible, and someone asked him if he felt lucky to win on that day. And I think um, if I were to use his quote, is that I don't train so that I can win only on the good days. I train so that I can win on the bad days too. Um, and now, like I would say that that's what I watch from everybody in, in every industry. Like to watch someone be successful uh, when there's low-hanging fruit, that's, that's not inspiring, and I don't find that um, as anything that I can learn from. But when you watch someone who really perseveres and pushes through and, and finds um, what they measure as success in, in difficult times, um, I think that's where I get inspiration. In terms of wanting to achieve something, how, how important is it to visualize your goals? to really have a clear stated goal, either in life or in a career? Or... I think you've got to have a direction. You're, you're a bit rudderless if you don't. Um, you have to have a direction, you know, have a, have a plan, um, but then I think you have to let go of it. Like, have a, have a plan, but don't expect anything to go according to plan. Um, and, you know, and one of the things that I, when I'm working with the athletes, like, we believe in perfection. We believe every day we're going out and we're trying to be perfect with our technique, with everything from the way we look, the way a baby finger is held on the end of an oar, whatever it's going to be. But the truth of it is perfection's a myth. And so in having this plan and working towards perfection, you have to let go of, of being perfect because that's, that's where you, you lose that open heart. You know, you, you just, you, you get too neurotic if you really are thinking that it can only be this one way. Yeah, you can't get married to any outcome, you know, as much as yeah, I think it's important to, to visualize even sometimes, to really visualize, to see yourself, put yourself in that situation, really dream it and really believe it. But yeah, you can't ever really get married to the outcome because the chances of it winding up exactly like that are, are pretty slim to none. Margaret, what do you think? I think everybody who has any kind of passion or a vision, you have to have some ultimate goal to focus on. I think that's very, very important. Uh, however, getting married to it 
too tightly, not being able to let go at times when things don't happen exactly the way you uh, expected them to or wanted them to, and being defeated by those disappointments. I think that, that uh, the disappointments are, are things you have to see as opportunities hmm. for uh, learnings. It's hard to do. <laughs> you know what? It is hard to do. And it's hard not to feel defeated when you don't meet that goal or people let you down. But that's okay. You just keep on going and see, okay, what could I have done better? Uh, my husband taught me that, that uh, setbacks are opportunities. Mm -hmm. He taught me that big time. You, you all seem like um, overachievers. You seem like people who uh, have... Uh, worked really hard, uh, and I know that to be true. Of, uh, I know a couple of you, and I know how hard you work. Uh, how, how, what have you learned about balance, about life-work balance? Ariana Huffington's put out a new book called Thrive, and I had a chance to talk to her about it a couple weeks ago. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar with this book, but she's She's saying that we need a third metric now. We live in this, this uh, society obsessed with, uh, Western society obsessed with um, money and status and, and that uh, there's a bunch of people who are uh, workaholics trying to achieve that and that when you combine that with this connected society where we have these, we all have these gadgets, and we don't really, we take home work with, uh, we take work home with us, and we wake up and we look at our emails. And we that there's no balance at all unless we create that space. And she says, it's only in creating that space that we'll actually be even more effective in terms of what we want to do. It's an interesting argument coming from someone who works as hard as Ariana Huffington does. But, but contradictions aside, what, uh, what, what do you, what have you thought in terms of? I like I know you've subjugated your life to your career in, in, in a lot of ways, Jeannie. How I've just come back from the longest vacation of my life, and I'm, I'm 62 years old, and I went on a 10-day vacation. It's like the longest time I ever took off, and it was fabulous. <laughs> and the book that I was reading all along the way was Thrive by Arianna Huffington. So I'm, I'm a work in progress, um, and I, I am uh, really transforming myself and, and my life, you know, as I sit here and as I, I listen to all this, you know, wonderful um, inspiration. Um, but I do say this, people, and, you know, my mother always said to me, you know, bless her, she's, she's so great, she's 93, she's always very, why do you have to work so hard? I went, don't worry about me working so hard. When I stop working, that's when you have to worry about me. When you love your work, when you, when you relish it, when it's as multifaceted as I've, made it, because I, I, I really have concocted my own kind of job, whatever my job is, I'm not even sure. But, but when you really, really love what you do, when you, it never feels like work. It really never feels like work. So, you know, I don't know. Yes, it, it, are there times that we have to really step back from it because we're almost addicted to it because we love it so much and we've become gluttons for it and we want more and more and more. So yeah, there are times when I have to force myself to, okay, turn to something you know, maybe a little more soothing that doesn't get me as riled up. But um, has there been a time a, in your life when you've regretted where, where something was sacrificed uh, because of how heavy your career has well, been? Well, I thought stupidly at the time and for quite a long time that my my passion and my overzealousness for my work and cost me perhaps my marriage because. My husband one day told me after you know 18 years together that he just didn't you know want to be married to me anymore you know and I thought it might, I really Dumb didn't see man. it coming hit by a Mack truck whatever but I really felt that it was oh it's because I cared too much about fashion because I loved my work too much because I poured myself in it too much and I blamed that and I thought if I looked at another fashion magazine again I'd throw up like I just I, I started to kind of hate it but as the months and years went by, I realized, you know, no, it wasn't that. Don't like, I mean, it's who, it's who I am. It's who you are. I don't, I don't think there's anything, you know, no need to feel, oh, yeah, I work too hard. Oh, yeah, I I'm, I'm too, you know, into my job. Like, I don't know, you know, workaholic, that's a funny kind of word. They used to use it a lot 
in the old days. I, I don't hear people use it that much anymore, and I would hope that they never use it. I mean, if you're a workaholic and you love what you do, so and it's not bad for you and it's not killing you, I mean, I, I don't think I've suffered for it um, in any way. I think it's, it's built me up. It's made me thrive, truly. Marnie? Balance. I'm loving that answer. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I think you know, as athletes, we our, our metrics, our, our work is measured, right? So I know if I'm not resting enough, my work output, it's obvious. I'm going slower. I can't lift as much. So I was I was taught sort of in my in my sporting career the value of resting, the value of eating properly, and all these things that that does contribute to balance. And then, you know, as I, I move into all the other things, and um, I'm a bit like Jeannie, I sort of, I go out and I find something that I think somebody should be paying me for. Like, this is, I should be a mentor of the Olympic team, or I should be, you know, writing a book. And I, I, I sort of create these elements that, you know, we become the CEO of stuff, in a sense. And so then you're juggling all these different things. Um, but I, I am very aware of making sure that um, and, and reading my own body for, for that concept of balance and, and knowing that um, rest. And even at the table with Oksana, we're saying how, um, yeah, I, I did, I did when, I, when I finished from rowing, I got into this crazy sport um, of eco-challenge. It's this crazy, you go for 500 kilometers, you go by foot, mountain bike, canoe, kayak, and in five days, 500 kilometers, you might sleep for a total of six to eight hours. I'm sure you do this stuff all the time, right? And, and, Woods, I can't imagine it. Um, but one of the things you realize is, let's say you walk at six, six kilometers an hour, and you start getting exhausted. Um, you know that suddenly you're down to two kilometers an hour. So in four hours, you will walk only four kilometers. I know if I sleep for an hour in those two hours, I will then walk six kilometers. Oh. Right. So I, I've been taught the metrics. Of, of balance, and so in being ambitious and in being driven and having passion, um, I, I know how to put in, make sure I'm putting nutrition in and putting sleep in wow. for that side of balance. But the other thing for, for drive, I find it crazy because I get kids, parents come up to me all the time going, my, my seven-year-old who used to love gymnastics or my nine-year-old uh, won't go to sport anymore, but they're really talented, they're a really great soccer player, and and I know they should be playing in this soccer league, but they won't go. I'm like, you can't stop them in the same way. Like, Jeannie's like, don't stop me from working. It's the same with our kids. Um, you know, when, when there's that passion and that drive, there's nothing that'll stop you doing it. And so it doesn't become, um, you don't sacrifice anything. You just realize you're choosing things. Like, I chose until I was 32. I had, I had so little, I had so little social life that I didn't even figure out I was gay until I was 37. You know, like there was like a whole element to, to that. I was just so happily, passionately involved in what I was doing, and I had perfect balance for what I needed at that point in time. Random announcement. It, it's amazing that that is a benefit of being an athlete, though, that it's built in, that you learn that, that balance. I mean, to your point, Jeannie, it, great. It's great that you've been able to do it. But, you know, in terms of Ariana's book and a lot of other studies that have come, you know, we, we suffer from more mental health. We suffer from more stress-related diseases. We suffer. Mm -hmm. There is a cost to people working their asses off, you know, 24-7. And, and, and it can be scary. And I, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Mm -hmm. But, Margaret, what's your thought on this? Well, uh, work-life balance is something I talk a lot about, not because I have to worry about it today. I don't. I'm a widow with grandchildren. I have total control over my, for the most part, over my life. And what I devote to work is really not work. It's, it's a passion. And I raised my children in the 50s, 60s, and 70s before Blackberries and iPhones and computers and uh, roles were delineated. My husband had his role and I had mine, and, and everything was, you know, we didn't struggle with that work life balance. But I am very aware of the struggles facing young people today, and I look around at all these young faces because that's what I do. I'm trying to build an early child development system to support young families today. 70% of children have two working parents. Uh, another 10% a single working parent. 
and with the knowledge about, you know, every single one of these high achievers wants to be a good parent, wants to be the best at parenting, and at the same time, with the demands in the workplace, they need to be the best at work. And work is no longer nine to five. It comes home with your Blackberry and stays with you till midnight. Young parents are sleep deprived, and then they have to worry about giving their kids the best, getting them to a good school, a good preschool, a good uh, childcare situation, picking them up, trying to get, get them home, and all the demands of being a good parent on top of being a good worker in the workplace. I'm totally with you on that. I understand it. I was a stay-at-home mom, but I fully appreciate the demands that are placed on, on families today, and that's a lot of what I devote my time to. But there, I, I want to get to two very quick questions. I know we're tight for time, so let me, uh, I'll, I'll ask you to, to try and address these. Uh, one from the cards that's quite good. And, uh, first of all, an, another thing, this was important for me to get to on the education side. Something that you do have all, you all have in common is giving back to the community. Uh, tell me why that's been important to you and, and whether you believe that it's a responsibility once you have the success that you've had to actually do that. Jeannie? Oh, yeah. That, that's a no-brainer. That, like, you know, people ask me to do stuff. And it's like, what an honor to be able to serve your community that way. I mean, it, to me, it's an absolute honor. I just can't, uh, I can't imagine a life of not giving back. I mean, you, I, I'm a firm believer in um, the fact that you, you get what you give. So, you know, it, it's just a, a symbiotic kind of relationship. But I, I'm so, I'm just thrilled that I'm able to, to do, you know, whatever I can do, what I'm asked to do, what I can think up doing. But, yeah, it's, it's an absolute Margaret. responsibility for everyone. In the giving, you, you receive far more than you give. Mm -hmm. I think there's, it sounds like a cliche. It's an absolute fact. And anybody who is in that position and has the privilege of being able to give. Philanthropy is not just about giving money and writing checks. It's also about engagement and giving of yourself. And any time you give of yourself, people give back far, far more than you ever gave. And so the rewards, uh, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're coaching a minor hockey team or leading a Boy Scout uh, troop or working as a volunteer in a mental health agency or anywhere, uh, believe me, uh, the, the rewards are huge and they're very esteem it's very esteeming. Arnie? Yeah, it's always, it's always um, more fun. I always feel guilty when I'm, I'm giving back because I always tend to feel like I'm, I'm getting more from it than anything else. And um, I've always targeted uh, uh, youth, uh, kids and youth being healthy and active, not necessarily high-performance sport. Um, but I, I think I know how much I got out of sport. And out of sport, even before I found rowing, like just whether I was going to be running around. Like I was a terrible basketball player. I was terrible at, you know, soccer and things like that. I just don't have any agility or hand-eye coordination. I'm really suited for sitting on my ass and going backwards a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> I should get into politics, maybe. <laughs> but, but, you know... I, I think it is it is absolutely a responsibility, and it's an easy responsibility to try and grow and pass on the passion and the information and show how people how simple it is, um, and and the 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 return on whether it's a time investment or a financial investment, that a return on that investment for healthy and active kids comes through so many different areas of our life. Um, whether that is domestic or international, like it's 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 always been an, a no-brainer for me to okay. have okay. kids play. Well done. You got a, a final question. Uh, and by the way, before the final question, a question that I won't ask you seriously, but I will um, contribute for, from our friends at Jarvis Collegiate. Where's Jarvis? So anybody from Jarvis? <laughs> How do you all so, look so young? You guys are so cute. <laughs> More sophisticated question. Uh, and perhaps a slightly more um, challenging question. He, he, um, this is, uh, this is going to be a difficult one to do in 30 seconds, but do your best with it. Each of you has been honored for your influence in a sector that arguably has been neglected 
by the government institution that honored you. What do you feel is the role of government in arts, culture, sport, or child welfare? And are we in Canada equipped to make positive changes? <laughs> I can be quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think it's super sad that municipal and provincial governments no longer have the resources. Um, it's the fed, federal programs, and, and even then, there's no federal programs to keep kids active. I think we've got to get daily physical education back into school. Um, and and that's, that's a responsibility of the provincial government. I think it's the responsibility of municipalities to um, build... Uh, infrastructure and resources um, because they are really um, community centers now and in the way that you know 50 years ago a community would be built in a, in a church or a mosque or or um, a temple um, now everyone can come together those those institutions still exist but we can bring everyone together in one building whether it's going to be a swimming pool or a soccer field or whatever it's going to be and that's the role of municipalities so I do think that governments need to get involved I think after post-Vancouver, um, we have done better than many countries post-Olympics, um, but I think governments and politicians are short-sighted. That's now getting long. But governments in short are short-sighted because they're looking at their, ele their election cycle for the, the benefits that come through sport and physical activity, and we've got to be looking 10 years down the road for, for these to come okay. around. Margaret McKay? Government absolutely has a role in early learning and care, early child development. It is a critical an important initiative for government, provincial and federal. Uh, it's not only a, a, a story about human development, it's a story about human capital. It has a, it's a strong economic story as well. That's it. And uh, speaking of fashion, uh, I think it's part of our national identity. I think it's just as uh, valid a form of popular culture as uh, as music and film and uh, you know you name it really. And I'm I, I'm dismayed that the federal government doesn't do more um, to support our uh, you know, Canadian talent. I think you have to scream twice as hard when you're Canadian. Um, hmm. and, and even then, it's pretty hard to get noticed. So uh, I think uh, you know, it's time to step in and, and help uh, some of our young talent, for sure. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, you three. Marty McBean, Margaret McCain, Jeannie Becker. Thank you. Thank you, Gian. Jeannie, Marnie, and Margaret, thank you so much for uh, sharing your stories. I said earlier that this was a special event because we had so many young people in the audience. Um, there's one 10-year-old in the audience that's near and dear to my heart. I know, I know he's been inspired by listening to these stories because when you hear about people that follow their dreams and passions, you realize what an impact you can have on the people around you and on the communities in which we live. So for that, thank you for not only inspiring my 10-year-old, but all of us here in the room. And Gian, and Gian, you're a masterful interviewer uh, and, and storyteller, so thank you so much for weaving these stories into such a special event. Thank you. That concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We're grateful to Rogers TV for their continued promotion of Canadian club events. Thank you once again for being here. This meeting is now adjourned.